So uh, this morning's message is entitled, What Have You Got in Your Hand? What have you got in your hand? We've, we've been going uh, just for the last two, three weeks through September on our Healthy Church series. And uh, a healthy church is one that does the simple things. Uh, one that does the simple things with joy and with faith and with obedience. Uh, what are the simple things? Well, any healthy church is, is going to prioritise gathering to worship, to pray. Uh, we're, we're going to build all kinds of community. We're going to be engaged in discipleship, in helping grow healthy disciples. Uh, we're certainly going to be engaged in sharing the good news that we've discovered about Jesus with those that don't yet know him. That's called evangelism. We're certainly going to be involved as a healthy church in, I guess, what we call mercy ministries. And within that, looking to see all kinds of people develop, uh, creating and developing, releasing leaders, spreading out wherever God opens doors. That's what a healthy church looks like. Specifically for us, we carry a call in this, this airport town uh, to be, I guess the phrase, the modern phrase would be like a hub church or in Acts of the Apostles they call it an Antioch type church, a church that is most definitely here to bless and serve and impact the town by equipping one another to live for Jesus and for the life and health of the town but also working with apostolic teams to push out into new places, sending, receiving, planting, all of that out of a kind of healthy garden here. And that's Joel's picture so helpful to that end. A healthy church also recognises, hey, do you know what? We don't have to do everything ourselves. We don't have to own all the ministry in a town. Uh, there are some other outstanding churches in Crawley um, who also have unique calls and passions and gifts from God. Um, with the churches together, uh, we're able to do some things together that we would not do uh, on our own. If after this week of prayer and fasting, a number of you come to us as the eldership team and say, we've got a real burden to uh, serve schools through assemblies, I'm not going to be clearing my diary for 8 o'clock on weekday mornings to go in and do assemblies. I'll be saying, hey, will you go and talk to the Lighthouse team? They actually have an office up here in our building, but that serve the churches across the town to do outstanding schools ministry, the like of which we would never be able to do on our own. And then, of course, a healthy church is free because we don't have to own all the ministry to get involved in partnership outside even of the church with the right people in the right way. I so loved our Book in the Park event, not only because the sun shone, woo, and I got to uh, swap lots of books, and I'm still reading through some of the ones that I managed to smuggle home with me uh, as well, but to partner with those even outside of the church who just have a heart to serve the town and, and uh, see the town work better, but to do so with us as believers was a wonderful thing. We don't have to own everything, but our responsibility is to discern what God has given us faith for and to walk in obedience with that. And when we do so, we're released then to uh, pray for and even cheer on others as they also serve God in the town. There's no room for competition or any of that nonsense. We get to cheer them on. All that we try to do in a healthy church through those principles, you'll often hear us talk about them, of up, in and out, living upwardly, simple love for Jesus, what we've been expressing in part this morning in our songs. Inwardly, our love for one another, our care for one another. Outwardly, loving those who don't yet know Jesus. That, that's it. That's the simple, healthy church. Whether you're a little church in a front room, just getting started, just getting planted. Whether you're a huge church, those principles and values remain the same. Each one beginning to, stepping forward into playing our part. Taking uh, the initiative and the unique call that God has put on each one of us. That's, that's the vision we're digging into again this week in our week of prayer and fasting. 
I just want to share with you, this morning is a slightly different morning in that um, this message is shaped by two uh, strong prophetic words that have refreshed us, refreshed us and shaped us um, over the summer. It feels for us as a team, as we've talked and prayed them around, I know many of you already have an insight into what I'm talking about this morning. There are two words that have pulled us into, into line with a, a, a real new sense of direction and purpose again. I've got four questions that I believe the Lord would ask of us this morning. But before I ask them, um, just a little bit of the, this prophetic background I've been talking about. You may recall um, our special friends, uh, Biro and Dino, who were with us uh, from Brazil, uh, Erasimapolis. Erasimapolis, I don't know, that's more Italian. Um, it, during uh, June over here for the New Ground uh, Leadership Conference. And just when Biro preached on the Sunday and shared his story and talked it around with many of us at other times, we, we felt even in that occasion was a sense of, of prophetic unlocking for us again as a church with a real joy. Biro's story is this. He said, we looked around at our town, Erasimapolis, and we realized we've got some problems in our town. And then they looked around at the church, a, a small and weak church. And Biro said, how can we, the people of God, be the solution that God has for some of the issues that are in our town? So Biro says, we keep our eyes open on the, on the conditions of the town uh, outside, and we look around inside at the solutions that God has for the town. Biro said, we did a survey early on of people's gifts in the church, uh, looking at where they serve, what their passions are, what their skills are in the workplace. And we went out to the town and we said, hey, you don't know us and you don't think much of us, but we just want to serve you. What can we do? Where are the needs? And now they've built this culture in this church where he says, yeah, everybody, everyone, everyone, just say everyone. everyone. There you go, you're still with me. Everyone in the church, he says, yeah, everyone gives an hour or two a week in accordance with their gift, their times, their availabilities. Some of it is keeping the, the mechanisms of healthy church going, but much of it as well is reaching out into the town as well. Biro said to us, it's, it's like it's time for a resurrection. I'm reading his words here. He, he felt God was, was um, uh, alerting us again to the DNA that's already in the ground, the seed that's already in the ground. He says, we, of us, we have everything we need from God. He's given us the building, the people, the gifts, the finance, the resources. And he, the Lord would say to us, how do you want to serve your town? How can we bless this town with the love of Jesus? How can we serve and advance the kingdom? Who's God connected us with? What other churches, agencies, charities that express this heart that God has for this town that don't know him? How can we help people find their place in God's kingdom? How can we initiate kingdom blessing into the town? Uh, I know Biro was excited to see the Crawley motto in Latin. Uh, it's over the town hall. Uh, it says, I grow and I rejoice. I grow and I rejoice. Biro said, we carry the, we carry the means for this to be fulfilled, for God to bless Crawley in part through the likes of us. Just look at the person next to you. That, through that person, okay? Through someone very ordinary like you and me, we carry the means because of the spirit and the call of God. And then on our, uh, our last prayer and vision night, at the, uh, early on in, in July, as we were uh, just sharing uh, some of the pressures that we're beginning to move out of on our financial provision through this last year, and as well sharing about some of the, the, the outwardly, ministry, uh, outwardly successful ministry in Feed Crawley that we'd had to close through some pain and confusion, Lewis prophesied into that so helpfully, really caught our hearts that evening. He was asking the question, what have you 
Look around, what have you got in your hands? This phrase he said a number of times that we've been praying over and over again, the provision will follow the vision. We're so grateful for that word, Lewis, that caught our, our hearts. And, and so as people have been coming to me and other elders through the summer saying, what about this, what about that, ready to get on and, and, and move forward with this stuff, I, I've been kind of... I've been in the unaccustomed role as the guy that likes to see the exits before I'm even in the room with the exit sign uh, and saying, hey, hold on, put the brakes on, wait for the week of prayer and fasting in September. We just feel it's important that this week of prayer is one where we get to seek the Lord together. Uh, We've got different people leading different evenings through the week where we get to catch God's heart and the response to these kinds of questions together with united hearts, where God opens up for us together as a church, as well as releasing individuals um, in this kind of action. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, next Sunday, we'll be gathering in here to pray in that way. So that's a bit of the prophetic background. Let me just ask you, uh, and perhaps here's where we come to these, uh, these little uh, visual aids here. Let me ask you the four questions that have been on our heart as we've been praying through the summer. Question Number one, the Lord would ask us, what have you got in your hand? What have you got in your hand? Turn with me if you have your Bibles. may appear on the screen. Uh, Exodus 4. Uh, Moses has, uh, the Lord's appeared to Moses uh, at the burning bush, this bush that burns but isn't uh, destroyed. And uh, he's uh, explaining to Moses that God has called him to go back to Egypt to rescue, to be responsible for rescuing God's people from uh, their slavery in Egypt, to bring them out of Egypt and into the promised land. In, in that dialogue, um, Moses, who is afraid, says uh, of, of the people of God in, in captivity in Egypt, Moses says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? And then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it to the ground. And Moses threw it to the ground and it became a snake. I can't, I can't do that bit. Um, that's as visual as it gets. It became a snake. And he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake. And it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. It's just an incredible uh, passage of Scripture there, Moses and his staff. It's just a stick, just a dead stick, uh, a well-pruned stick, if you like, to use Joel's language and John 15 language this morning. But ordinary things offered up to God in faith and obedience become anointed vessels in his hand. When we ask the question, or when God asks us the question, what have you got in your hand? It speaks of whatever is in our care or our control. It speaks of the passions, the gifts, the callings uniquely that God has placed in each one of us. It speaks perhaps even of the circumstances or the seasons that he's placed us in, knowing that our times, our availabilities, our energies differ at different stages through life. We often use this kind of question over the years in simple, healthy church, recognising, God, we can't do everything. There's so many things that we want to uh, be led into, but what have you given us? What people do we have? What are the skills and the passions that are in the room? We've, we've used those questions when we were helping to plant churches in front rooms 20 years ago. Uh, we asked these questions when we were down the road in East Grinstead when the church was growing through 350, 400. It was still right to ask the question, God, what have you put in our hands? 
This church here has asked the question the same way down through the last 39, 40 years or so. We're asking the question again now, God, what have you put in our hands? We've used this question personally as a family. When uh, things were, were tough, when I, when I first left my job behind to lead the church, we'd helped to plant full-time. Money was a little bit tight. Our, our kids were all very little. I, I think it was probably just before Jude was born. There was this newfangled thing called eBay. We were near the Yorkshire border, so eBay sounded very Yorkshire. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we were saying, God, how, how do we just begin to increase our income a little bit? And Kaz was praying. She felt God say, what have I given you? What have you got? And she was good at collecting stuff that she could sell. And this thing called eBay was amazing for just tidying some old shabby stuff up and flogging it onto people that wanted to buy it. Uh, and so the question, what have I put in your hands, meant that as a family we were able to just uh, bring our income up to speed a little bit at that time. We've seen all kinds of little businesses start out of that principle over the years. So God's asking us the question, who are you? What availability do you have? What can you use that I've given you? What do you have in your hand? It's just been interesting. I think prophetically, the last, uh, even just the last month or so, I've had a number of conversations with people who are stirred with entrepreneurial business ideas at the moment in and around the church. It's just interesting as we ask this question. I believe that the Lord may be doing something fresh amongst us as a local church in that way. When Moses threw down his staff, when he saw what it could become um, and saw what it could become in the hands of God, his initial response was to run away through fear and I don't blame him for that. The command came to Moses, pick it up. Um, so many of us, when we get a sense of what God's calling us to, our response out of fear is to run from what God is saying. Especially if, like me, uh, and uh, you've tried some things and you feel like, I've failed, I've tripped up, I've, I've got it wrong, I've, I've messed up along the way. The reason Moses was in this state, the reason he even asked God the question, will the people believe that you've appeared to me? Will they believe that you've sent me? The reason he felt that way was because he'd already blown it big style. He'd already uh, um, imposed himself and his own destiny on the people of Israel uh, 40 years before uh, when he tried to take things into his own hand and write his own plot for the narrative. And he'd ended up killing an Egyptian and burying him in the sand. No wonder he was frightened at this point uh, that the people may not believe him a second time uh, around. Your track record and mine, however bad it's been, whatever list of failures you have behind you cannot be as bad as Moses um, unless you've killed a man and buried him in the sand. And if you have, there's hope for you this morning because there was hope for Moses. But please come and see me afterwards. Um, what does the Lord say to us? He says, stop running. Pick up what God has given you again. He said to Moses, he is with you. He'd say that to us. He has appeared to you. He's put some things in your hand that are to be offered into his service. I think one of the other things we do is dismiss what he's put in our hands. It's just a stick. It's a broken old stick. It's not connected into anything. It's got no life in itself. But this stick that Moses had was a, a sign, a symbol in his hand of God's authority, um, of God's call on Moses, of God's provision for Moses. It was that very same stick that Moses threw down and ran away from that he held up to pile up the Red Sea into a giant channel that a million people and animals walked through. It was that very same stick that he lifted up and caused water to come out of a rock that, uh, that, brought, that sustained a nation and all the animals as well. And the Lord has put a huge authority upon his people that we have run from or dared to not offer up in his service just because of disappointment or fear in our 
own hearts. When you look back through the Old Testament, you see this time after time with the things that we think, is that all I've got in my hand right now in this situation? Looking at Samson this week, that, that moment where he, he just had a, he's surrounded by Philistines. What, what have I got in my hand? I've got a donkey's jawbone. That'll do. And he slays Philistines with it. You've got David approaching Goliath with just his sling. Even when Goliath is down and dead and David wants to cut off the giant's head because he stood against the purposes of God. David doesn't even have his own sword in his hand. If you read the text, he, he gets Goliath's giant sword out and chops his head off with it. As you move into the New Testament, you'll find Zacchaeus. He's a brand new believer. All he does is offer up his home to Jesus. You have the widow who only has a single coin in her hand and yet that's enough for her to give everything she has. You have Mary who has a jar of oil. Uh, That's all she has and yet in that moment she offers up one of the richest moments of worship that is recorded for us. Joseph of Arimathea, he's just got a tomb but he offers it up into the Lord's service. Then there's the unnamed man who who gave up uh, the upper room in his house Uh, so that Jesus could have supper with his disciples and pray with them and share his heart with them. Or maybe the man who's unnamed in the scriptures who said, yeah, you can have my donkey to ride on into Jerusalem. It's yours, Lord, if it serves you. And then as you move through into the early church, you've got Cornelius who just opened his home and gathered people so they could hear the gospel and get born again and filled with the Spirit. You've got Aquila and Priscilla, local business operators who served church planting and supported their local church. You've got Lydia in Acts who was a cloth trader who used her entrepreneurial skills as she got born again to help a church plant and open her home up to host guests who were coming. The scriptures Friends are full of ordinary people like you and me who've opened up their hands to offer up their ordinary lives in faith and obedience for kingdom purpose. People like you and me, the Lord would ask us this morning, number one, what have you got in your hand? Amen. Number two, oh, how's this going to work? I don't know. Turn with me to two kings. This could get messy. (laughs) 2 Kings chapter 4, the second question is, what do you have in your house? It's a time of struggle. Elisha, the prophet who's followed Elijah. Uh, 2 Kings 4 verse 1, we'll just pick up the story. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Can I just hear you say that? What do you have? Your servant has nothing here at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him. Afterwards, shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. He replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. I haven't got jars, I've got pans and pots this morning. And we have oil. Here is a situation where this lady and her family were impoverished. They're under huge financial pressure. Out of fear, she's about to make some understandable but completely wrong choices, even to sell her sons into slavery. 
in order to pay the debts. Let me just add by way, just by the way, just in case you're not sure about it, if you're in a moment of fear, it's never a good moment to make decisions based on fear. When you feel like there's no way out, when you have no, better, no vision for a better future, that is not the time to make decisions that will be shaped by that fear. Into this kind of climate, God asks the question through the prophet, what have you got in your house? Her answer is, I've got nothing there at all. Some of us have felt like that, haven't we? Uh, and then she goes on to say, oh, hang on. No, nothing there at all, but just a little oil. Just a little oil. Even what she did have in that moment, she undervalued. She didn't recognize what she had that might be of purpose and of use in the Lord's hand. She didn't know what could ever be achieved with this, just a little oil. I literally have just, just a third left in, in that one now. I don't have enough. I never will. She's, she's under, understandably under a, a kind of poverty mindset that is crushing faith. But again, we see in this story and many others, and we know in our own lives as, as well, that, that when we realize and offer up to God the little that we have uh, under the kind of prophetic anointing, uh, when we respond with just a little in faith and obedience, God begins to multiply. That's exactly what happens here. And there must have been something going on as she, uh, as she stood before the prophet. It's very easy to say she just recognized that she had lack, but it was, it was a step of faith even to ask the prophet uh, and to ask him to, to make something happen in and around her life. And then, of course, she acts with faith and obedience. She, she was obedient even before there was evidence that the oil would flow. She, her obedience was, was demonstrated by collecting pots and jars from her neighbors. And as she poured the little that she had, the miracle happened. The miracle, if you like, it waited for her to catch up. Um, it required her active participation. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? It required her offering up to God the little that she had, even without knowing the outcome, would be what she hoped for. Without any evidence that anything would change, she was required to walk with faith and obedience. When we ask, when we ask the question, what have you got in this house? It's a collective question. It involves you and me. We're neighbours. Love your neighbour, the scriptures say. It involves us and each one of our empty vessels, whether, it's, whether we're speaking about our lives or whether we're speaking about actual things that we do or have. There's a, there's a community call the Lord would put on us to respond in faith together, to offer what we have up to him for his provision to flow. We've been praying as elders over the summer praying here with the staff team, with, the, with our amazing trustees. We're praying this week with the church about the question, God, what have you given us this physical house for? We had a couple of wonderful prayer meetings in the uh, May, June, uh, July here in the summer, just walking up and down this building and around the, the gardens. We were praying, some of us, as we participated on our clean and green day together at the start of uh, September. What have you given us this house for? What miraculous purpose, kingdom purpose, it's easy for us to say, what, this, this old place? It's looking a bit tatty, a bit tired. It, it, it's, it's not much, really. Uh, oh, there's some shinier glass and chrome buildings around town. Wouldn't it be lovely to have one of those? It needs so much spending. It needs so much development. We can have a, just a little bit of oil mentality. But we're looking again this week as we pray with a, this prophetic question alive. What do you have in your house? As you walk down for tea and coffee later, look into the, the rooms, these rooms, this space, this hall, 
the, the cafe, the kitchen, the gardens, the kinds of ministries that we serve with out of here, even the way that we run the business here and in the shop in town, the way we welcome the community amongst us. The Lord would say afresh to us, what have you got in this house? And in this story in 2 Kings, the obedient response to this question led directly to God providing an income stream which paid the mortgage, gave the family money to live off. The Lord would say to us this morning, what have you got in this house? What have you got in your house personally? What have we got in this house corporately? Question three, Mark 6, we'll look at verse 38, we'll come to, uh, we'll square all this off in a moment, you still with me? Our next question, it's a story if you've been following Jesus a little while, even if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you may be familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6 and in the other Gospels as well. They've tried to get away to a remote place but thousands follow them. Jesus is teaching them, it's late, it's the end of the day, out of compassion, he's concerned that they have nothing to eat. And so he says to his disciples, you give them something to eat. Okay, here's the problem. Um, They say to him, hey, verse 37, uh, that would take eight months of a man's wages. That's a lot of money, that's a big crowd. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Here's a question. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then uh, Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Our next question is, how many loaves do you have? Jesus asks his disciples, what have the people got? What have they brought in their bags and their satchels? I love uh, John's account uh, in John, uh, I think John 6 and verse 8. So the disciple Andrew, for a moment he gets it. He's amazing. And then he just goes um, and, and falls down the other side just like we do. He says in response to that question, Ah, oh, Jesus, here's a boy with some loaves and fishes. And then you see the kind of doubts come. And he says, but how far could that go amongst so many? You think, oh, Andrew, you did so well. And, and then you sunk under it again. It reminds me, uh, not long after of Peter, where he says, Lord, I'm going to walk out to you on the water. Uh, and he starts walking to Jesus. It's amazing in that moment. He's walking to Jesus on the water. And then it says he puts his head down and becomes aware of the wind and the waves. And, and under he goes until Jesus fishes him out. And Andrew is just in that moment. Yes, we've got loaves and fishes and a huge crowd. A huge crowd. Oh, how far can that go? Um, And so we sink under our realism. Um, The same question Jesus asks them in Mark chapter 8, just a bit further uh, along in the gospel, where 4,000 people are fed. He asks them again, how much bread do you have? The answer always, friends, is we haven't got enough. (laughs) But in God's economy, he always gives enough. There's always plenty to go around. The hungry always get fed. The available and the obedient always get used by the Lord Jesus. God often speaks and puts dreams and visions in our hearts. I know any of you who have been walking with the Lord for any time will have carry all kinds of dreams, visions, ideas. But we so often fail to see it how he sees it. We fail fully to take hold of him in faith and to believe him. So we quickly, like Andrew did, squash the dream with our earthy realism 
or perhaps we call it common sense. <laughs> Half a year's wages, they said. How, how can we afford that? If, if, if that's you or I this morning, or even us as a church, we need to repent of that. Some of us are holding things in our hands, areas that God wants us to serve him in. Maybe it is a business idea. Maybe there are ideas for ministries, but you've said things like, how could I ever, or what difference would what I do ever make, or where would the money come from for that kind of venture? And so we never really fully open our hand. We never really fully step into the command of the master who says to us, you feed them as we look out at the town. Listen, friends, lack of money, lack of provision is never a reason to not be obedient when Jesus Christ has spoken to us. That was a sentence with a double negative, and if English isn't your first language, forgive me, but the sentence remains true. Um, lack is never a reason to say no to Jesus. As Lewis reminded us in his prophetic word, the provision always follows the vision. The emphasis, therefore, is get a vision of what Jesus is saying and move forward obediently. There's a final step, and then we'll pray together. Turn with me to John chapter 2. He's still following these four <coughs> questions. The wedding at Cana. It's the first uh, miracle that we know about in the scriptures. There may have been others. Um, I don't think so because of what the text tells us. It's this wedding where the wine had gone. Jesus' mother says to him, they have no more wine. She whispers along the table. My mum's here today. I'd never speak to my mum like this. Dear woman, he says. Oh, it just, just sounds rude, doesn't it? I'm, I'm sure we lose something in the text. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. There's a line. Um, and, uh, of course, that we read on in the text, there are these six giant water jars. They hold 30, 40 gallons each. Jesus says, yeah, fill them with water. Oh, yeah, just start ladling it out, pouring it out. And, and we find that this ordinary water has turned into the most incredible wine. So here's our final step. It's not a question. If it was a question, the question would be, what have you got in those big jars? Uh, but it's not a question. We have, what have you got in your hand? What have you got in your house? How many loaves do you have? Here's our fourth point. Do whatever he tells you. Just say that, please. If, if only we get that church. If only we live off that statement. When the question comes, what have you got in your hand? When faith quickens and arises in our hearts, that's the time for us to say to one another, do whatever he tells you. Speak, Lord. We're listening. Help me, yes, in my fear and my uncertainty, but give me some instructions that I can be simply obedient with. We often remark about the 100,000 that live within five minutes' drive of this building. There are, there are 12,000 men and women who are over the age of 65. There are over 20,000 boys and girls who are under the age of 18. There are tens of thousands of people from different nations around the planet. Most of these 100,000 don't know Jesus and don't want to know Jesus. The Jesus who says to people like us, you feed them. And this week of prayer is a time for us to offer up to the Lord our hands, this house, our collective little pot of oil, our small provisions, and see what he might say and do. This week of prayer is a time for us to not be dismayed by our lack or by the size of the task out of fear. It's time for us to stop running away. It's time to put down, even for some of us carrying the shame of some of our recent disappointments, and to offer up to him again, to hear what he says, and to do whatever he tells us. Hallelujah. There, I believe out of this week of prayer, there will be some significant steps of faith. 
God's going to speak to individual hearts, mine and yours. He's going to speak to us collectively together. We believe there may well be a new ministry or two that get initiated this week as we pray and gather in this way that will require some kind of collective faith and obedience in the weeks and months ahead. It's time for us in that context to lose any kind of impoverished mindset with regard to our building or our finance It's time for those that carry it to lose any disappointment that lingers over the closure of Feed Crawley at the start of the year. It's time to start things the right way again together as a community. As we hear God ask us, what have you got in your house? It's not about only having a little. In fact, a little is all that he requires. I love the way Jesus says, at one point it's a rebuke where he says, oh, you have little faith. Another time, it's an encouragement where he says, if you just have a little faith, you think, well, they've both got a little. It depends how we see God behind the words. Uh, And it's just a little that we need. We just offer up a little to him. He always works with those who are empty. He always works with those who stand from a place of weakness. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So we lift up the little that we have. We offer it to him. Uh, what's our, man, it's not a heavy weight on us in this week of prayer and fasting. Our responsibility in a healthy church is faith and obedience. It's hugely liberating for us. We get to stand again in faith and obedience. The provision will always follow the vision. I, I've been just praying this week and realizing, um, did Moses add anything to the stick that God used? Did the widow have any influence on the oil as it began pouring? Did, did the disciples have any part in the multiplication of the food other than being obedient? Did the wedding stewards have any impact on the water jars producing the best wine other than obediently filling them with water? It really is liberating and childlike for us, church, to recognize our part. It just requires eyes of faith and, and, and that we, the, the things that we do have from God and to bring them obediently to the Savior and to enlist them in his service. It's his responsibility to bring the increase, the miracles, the life, the abundance, the fruitfulness, all the stuff we've been looking at the last couple of weeks in John 15. As Biro would tell us and remind us if he was here this morning and he's been praying for us this week as we've messaged each other, everything we need to reach the town, everything we need to reach the cities beyond us, the nations beyond us, is already in this house. We need to stop worrying about what we've lost or got wrong or put down or can't do anymore. As Lewis reminded us, the provision follows the vision and we're here to serve and love Crawley out of that. So here's, here's where it happens, specifically. Oh, can you imagine with me before God that each one of us, in Bureau's story, each one of us, an hour or two hours a week, serving with my gifts, my talents, as an expression of the love of God for one another and for Crawley. Um, Lewis is going to prophesy again in a moment. I'm just going to finish up. Just some specific things. We have, as we're praying, a real need here to serve our growing kids' work. If you prayed with us last Sunday, if you were here, we have around 50 children between the age of 0 and 11. It's a wonderful blessing from God that we get to make disciples of those 0 to 11s. Are there those that this week the Lord will speak to that have faith and gifting to serve in our children's work? We've got a call for making disciples of our young people, a fantastic team that are doing that again, not just seeing discipleship grow amongst our teenagers, but beginning to reach out to the teenagers in the town who don't know Jesus. Are there some this week that the Lord is speaking to with faith and vision about serving and making disciples amongst teenagers? We're 
praying and see a real need to strengthen our trustee team. Are there some the Lord would speak to this week with faith and vision? that love that kind of stewardship, that have experience in gifting in HR, in the workplace, in business or finance. Just pray and ask the Lord for faith as you pray that through this week. We've got a practical need for some who have gifts of administration, one to help us with our strengthening our safeguarding team, another to help with the simple administration of our care for the Zambian orphans, our street life administrator. We've we've got a, a, a real prayer burden to see a team released for a growing over-60s work uh, in the church and in the town. That's even before we start praying for new kinds of mercy ministries that the Lord is going to open up for us. I've been praying, and a number have been talking about this, uh, about community kitchens and and using the gardens and works which reach reach the over-65s and and, and growing works with special needs, adults and, and kids. But the Lord would say to us, what's in our hand as we come and pray this week? What about you? What about me? What about our finances? What about giving first into the local church to the work of the kingdom? May God give specific faith and vision and obedience in these areas that are key to our mission this week. We believe he's put the answers in this room, not only to bless the church, but to serve the town. It's what this week is about as we pray and fast, as we hear God together, as he releases faith and vision. It's not about leaders brainstorming and thinking of new ideas and then uh, looking around the church trying to strong arm some volunteers uh, to run with them. We're coming together as a family to pray, to hear God together, to discover what's he put in our hands, what's he put in this house. We're asking you to seek the Lord with us in this way this week. Will we look together to be the answers to these questions? May the Lord speak to many with faith and vision as we come together in this week. Will you stand together? Lewis, did you want to share something, and then we're going to pray. Sorry. sorry. Don't, don't say sorry. You're welcome. I don't like to do this, but I was feeling uh, you are right in, in all you said. Yeah, you go for it. Um, They'll find you. But there is one thing more. It's all you said. What have you got in your hand? What had you got in your house? Um, how many loaves? Uh, how many fish have you got? But the next is give it to me. Hmm. It's time, uh, especially for you and all the people at the church that are bearing, having heavy burdens over their shoulders. And uh, as we were singing, it's not time more to be in our strength. We are not going to be able to do nothing. Uh, We have been walking until now. And uh, I think let's do this, what the Word of God says and uh, less all we got, uh, I challenge all the church to give all we got yeah. to our Lord. Yeah. Offer him yeah. and uh, see what happens. Yeah. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about Steve. It's not about our problems. It's we are now challenged about to live um, how 
God has designed it for us in this church, in this city, in our homes, in uh, every place we are putting our feet on. Yeah. We need to establish the, the kingdom of God. Yeah. And um, he's going to equip us. And uh, whatever we got, the next step for this week, give it to, to the Lord. Yeah, Sorry. thank you. Hey, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Now let's stand and pray, shall we? We hear that. We receive that. Lord, it, it resonates with our spirits. We, we give ourselves to you. We give our lives to you. Well, that first day, for some of us a while ago now, where we said yes to the gospel of grace, where we first saw you, Jesus, as you really are, and said, we're going to follow you. You have lordship of our lives. Lord, nothing's changed. We come back to that moment where we said, all that I am, all that I have is yours. It all belongs to you, Jesus. It's for your glory and for your service. Wherever you send me, whatever you want to do with me, whatever purposes and plans you have for me, why don't you just express that prayer? It's like a salvation prayer again. Maybe there is someone praying it for the first time today, but for many of us, just praying it again now. Lord, I give it to you. I give you my life, my dreams, my ambitions. Maybe you're praying about your home, your workplace. Hey, maybe your finance, your business. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, we offer ourselves to you. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. I love the passage to Timothy 221 of him praying this week about vessels that are cleansed and available to be used by the Lord as instruments for noble purposes that are useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. Lord, we, we offer ourselves. We don't feel it, but we say it's true because the scriptures say it's true. May we be instruments in your hand. May we be useful to you, master, Jesus. May we be prepared to do any good work that you're calling us to by your spirit. We open our hands, we open our hearts, we open our lives, we open our ears for you to speak, we open our eyes to see. God, what are you doing in, in our, through our hands? What are you doing in this house, into this town? Oh, thank you.